Hello and welcome to episode 13 of this bonus series in conjunction with Tipperary Midwest Radio. In this episode, Stevie O'Donnell and our own Francis Cockton look back on Aerogue and Accarty's county intermediate success in 1994. This is the West Awake podcast, West Tip Matters. The West's Awake, the West's Awake. Another toe, and it's Eugene O'Neill who's got it. Is by Johnny Ryan. He's one of the two Johnnies playing at midfield today. were very precise and Brian Fox with Tipperary's first This is Tipperary Midwest Radio Sport with Stevie O'Donnell. The real voice of Tipperary. Now I'm going to move on to some Gaelic games in 1994. Iroge and Akarty were crowned county intermediate hurling champions. A little bit later I'll be speaking to John Quinn, Eileen Ryan and Kevin Fox. But first I'm going to say a very good morning to Francis Cockland from the West Sport. Francis, good morning to you. Morning to you, Stevie. The Rogan McCarthy is an old Golden Kilpeakle, Latin Cullen, and Sean Trace is affiliated for the West Intermediate Hurling Championship for 1994, which is played on a league basis with the top two contesting the final. The Rogan Latin Cullen qualified for the decider, which was staged at Sean Tracy Park on Monday, September the 19th. On a dull, wet evening, Latin Cullen got off to a flying start and led five points to nail at the end of the first quarter. However, a rogue recovered and a John Quinn penalty goal restored their challenge before half-time, at which stage they trailed by 1-3 to 8 points. A rogue made a storming start to the second half, scoring 1-3 within four minutes to go from two down to four up. Anthony Cross got the goal, but Latin Colour refused to yield softly and midway through the second half, they cut the lead to the minimum. Nine minutes from the end, the Damien Maloney 65 levelled the scoring and all came down to a hectic finish. At the climax, they all found the winning scores. Anthony Cross and John Quinn from a free put them two up, and then Tim Heffernan sealed a really fine win with a late goal. It ended Aerog 3-8, letting Cullen 12 points. Vinny Ryan captained Aerog on their first ever title in the grade. In the county semi-final, Aerog played Carrick Davin to Boerlatin on October the 16th. Aerog dominated the first half and led at the interval by 10 points to two. Early in the second half, Devon to cornerback Peter Walsh sent off and a long-range three from Vinnie Ryan went all the way to the Carrick net. The Rogue actually led by 111 to two points now, but Devon's put in a really strong rally that yielded two goals and the lead eventually fell to five points. It was a wobbly spell by a Rogue, but they held their nerve and eventually won on the scoreline of 114 to 2-6. It was on to the ragged in on October the 30th for a Rogue's final clash with Silvermine. A close first half ended level, four points apiece, with Silvermine squandering a few possible goal chances. The North champions hit the lead with an early point in the second half, but then Aero became the dominant side. Eventually, points to John Quinn, Clay and Freeze took the West champions three points ahead with four minutes to play. However, an online goal for Silvermine, a minute from the end, squared the match and seemed to rescue the North champions. Inter Anthony Cross and a magic point from about 60 yards out to secure a thrilling win and a first ever for the club. It was celebration time for team captain Vinnie Ryan, his history making colleague. And earlier I spoke to long serving secretary Alan Ryan along with Kevin Fox, but we will first hear from John Quinn. I played most of my games at Connor Forward. 
my most memorable game there from that year was actually final in itself because number one was so tight and close. The fact as well that it was a county final we won and county finals were scarce enough coming to the club so we were delighted for that. And then of course the big prize as well then was to get back up playing Cena Holland as well. So it meant a lot to the club. I would imagine it was a case of take one game at a time. Yeah, that's the way we looked at it because we knew with the players we had in that particular year that we weren't good enough to compete outside the division. And once we got over the line with the West Final, we knew we were good enough to get to a county final and win it. Like Kevin Fox, to me, would be the best top hurler that I had ever seen. He basically had it all. But going back to the 94 Championship, what game stood out for him? I suppose the final against Latin Colour because Mickey English was playing corner forward. He used to drift in out full forward on occasions. How did you manage to mark him? Marking was Dennis DeWire, and Dennis was a very good close marker. And he done extremely well, and he, he <coughs> scored very little after. We suffered off very badly in that match, and we were down five points to nil, and we ended up, John got goal, and then after that we kind of moved on and got it topped in, and we, we won by a good few points at the end. I then had a word with the long-serving secretary, Eileen Ryan. I'm in my 20th year, secretary since 2002. How did that come about? Well, of course, I'm from the area all my life anyway, and so I was always interested in the GA affairs of the club. My father was very involved, God bless his soul, Teddy O'Carroll. Back the years, he was always involved with juveniles, and I suppose he was the man who promoted football here in the club as well. And sure, way back in 1988, I had written the history of the Rogue from 36 to 86. So when I was approached and asked would I become secretary, I did, willingly enough. What changes, Eileen, have you seen over the years then? Oh, there have been a lot, I suppose, at that stage. Everything was handwritten and done by post. You'd get the fixtures from Jerry Ring or Michael O'Brien on a Tuesday. And, you know, in some way things were simpler. You got those fixtures, you told the managers of the teams, with the advance of technology, things have changed a lot. Moved to emails then and internet, and we were on server sport and so forth. This year now they've decided on a new thing called Fuerum. So now players can pay their membership online and register themselves, which I suppose is, is a bonus in one way. Because sure, look, all the young lads know well how to do this. It's been a huge learning curve for me. Does a huge amount of work involved? There is. I'm fortunate enough now that I've retired from teaching. To me, the easy part are the team sheets and the subslips because I'm going to be at all the games anyway. Then we have a monthly meeting and you have the writing up of the minutes after that. The AGM is a big thing in every club, so there's huge preparation for that. You have to do a secretary's report, you have to have the minutes from the previous meeting, you have to take all the, the notes on the night, needless to say. Dealing with insurance claims. That's not one of the nicest parts of it now. And again, that has changed because it's all gone online. So you have to make sure that everything is uploaded. You have to, the players have to fill out their form for you, send it on to you. You have to upload it. There's a lot of legal issues involved in that as well, isn't there? Yeah, there can be. And I mean, obviously, confidentiality is a huge part of that. To be honest, I'm the only one who would know anything about that, really. The other thing then is making applications for funding, like the Sports Capital Grant, County Council applications. We got our walkway there two years ago, dealing with other club secretaries and divisional secretaries attending the West Board meetings. And distribution of tickets, I suppose, is another fairly arduous task. I suppose 2020 was stressful from the point of view then, uh, with the restrictions on numbers because even we had tickets for the county matches and you do the best you can and being the fairest I can be and I think that's the best I can do. Eileen also said it was really important to have such a vibrant camogie club in the parish and she wished them continued success going forward. 
but I didn't ask her what were her best memories of 1994. They're vague enough, Stevie, because I was just after having my baby. She was six weeks old at the time. The first thing I had to do that day was to get her farmed out and get someone to mind her. Because obviously I had to bring my father to the match and I took my four-year-old son. I suppose the one thing I remember about taking him to that match was at the end there was a photograph anyway and there's a photograph there where you had all the players and you have the children of the parish and it's lovely to look back on that now and see them as some of the players now. I mean there's a great feeling of elation, a great feeling of pride and you're proud of every one of those players. And to me, that's a wonderful picture to look at. A number of people have passed to their eternal reward from that. To look at the young lads there and to see that they're the lads who are playing now, it just shows that there's a continuity the whole time in it. And I think, I suppose, the two lads that are here tonight, John and Kevin, longevity is part of their name anyway, because Kevin was 38 when he was playing in that and he thought it was time to be given up. I'm sure the other man here hasn't given up yet. John, how long are you playing for the club? 1981, 40 years ago this year was when I got my first West End Hurling medal. Next one then was 1986 and we had a long wait then after that for another one with the club and in between that then we won one with Gordon. Would I be right in saying, John, when you came up with 1986, did you then move to London? Yeah, that's right. Uh, summer of that year I moved over to London. I was supposed to go over initially just for a few months to play Holland there. Because the year before I was supposed to go to Boston, but I actually fractured my finger in the match and that knocked me out for five or six weeks. So I got over to London anyway. The first year I played with a club called Clannagale and after that then I joined Sean Tracy's. There was a number of Tipperary men on that team. Martin McGrath from Lacavella and Walter Carroll and Tommy Noonan and Laughlin Brothers and Paul Butler from Cap White. And, um, we had a very good team that time actually, but all the teams over in London that time were very good because most guys were over there at that time because there was no real work here. And certain guys from certain counties went to certain clubs like Sean Tracy's was kind of Tipperary and Limerick and some of the Clare and Gabriel's were Galway and Brian Burroughs were Kilkenny and Wexford. And there were some very, very good holders over there because they all had left here to go over and find work. The championship was very competitive over there and I was lucky enough then to win two London championships with Sean Tracy when I was there. Little did he know in 1991 he was going to be playing against Cashel King Comics. That's the All-Ireland quarter-final? The All-Ireland quarter-final, the club championship, yeah. And I was played over in Ryslip in London. What was that like for you, John, before the game even started? Oh yeah, it was great. I really look forward to it and to build up to that match because uh, Cashel had an exceptional team that time with the players that they had. They beat us on the day, fair and square, they were the better team and we had no arguments with that. But uh, it was a great thrill for me personally because I would have known some of those players as well. And it's back to Kevin Fox once again. As we look back to the 94 county final against Silvermines, why was that such a low scoring game? Well the day was, was horrible in the first place, it was, a, it was an awful day and uh, like the ball was heavy so there was no one to keep the ball too far on the day because there was a different split on down there than there was then. That time there was little those fierce problems with slitters because they used, used to drink the water, they used to you know, soak it up and like very few people bought more than I'd say 60 yards at the time. That was a good puck, like, like the goalie probably had the best puck for 70 yards at the time, just on that particular day it was horrendous you know otherwise. That was the main contributor with a lot of the low scoring and the, the slitter. John, would you agree with that? As Kevin said, yeah, the conditions on the day, it was wet and it was windy and everything. The pace of the game was actually slowed down as well, so it was a very low scoring game, but we were glad to get over the line by just that one point. 
There's no comparison there in 2019. The 1940 were honoured at the county final of 25 years and I had a copy of the video at the time of the match and we had it on in the Dome in Thurles. There's no comparison watching a match that was played then and played now. The pace was so slow in comparison. The ball wasn't travelling. There was several line balls and it's hard to imagine the difference between then and now. Why Kevin? Is it because of tight marking you held your positions or were you allowed to roam? A lot of different things. At that time you couldn't leave your own position, you were caught in position and if you were caught out of it you were in the side. You know, you drifted far as you were a man, that's all. The first priority was to make sure your man didn't score. The forwards would generally stay in their position. There are very few roam around like today. Today the lads go all over the place. The game is better today, it was faster hurling today. The game is improved every year and it's gone to a very high standard. Who would have been the trickiest forward that you probably ever came across? Jesus, there was a lot of different. I suppose Thomas Levy from Golden was, was very strong and very fast. I think very good horror too. You come across Mickey now and again, but I didn't mark him that much. But there was a chap there from Hollyford, Ryan Robber, I was his name. Found him very hard to handle. Big tall lad. Very good horror. Yeah, as Kevin said, players that time were more inclined to hold a position. So I suppose for the backs it probably was an easier game to play then than now because the game that time was there was a lot more physical contact than now because the pace of the game was slower so the defenders were nearer to you than now. There was a lot more contact and also to get a, a card or get booked that time you, you had to do a lot, quite a lot now compared to today. To answer your question, was there any particular defender that I found tough to mark? There was one man comes to mind straight away. You really had to be at the top of your game to be able to get a score off him. He was very tenacious and he was quick on his feet too. And that was Michael Perdue from Cashel. Even if you did manage to get past him and head for goal, he always had that knack of being able to recover and get back to be able to defend. So any day you mark Michael and you got a score or two off him, number one you earned it and number two you had a good day's work done. But I suppose personally for me, over all the years with the players I played against and with, there's one man stands head and shoulders above all the other players over the last 40 years for me playing Sina Holland. And he was so very committed, brave, he had all the skills to play Holland. And I never once saw him throw in the towel. Every time he tugged out, whether it was for training or playing a match, he always had that fire in his belly. And without doubt, in my mind, the most complete all-round hurler that I ever played with, sitting across from me there now, is Kevin Fox. And I suppose for Kevin, in my memory, 1980s were his best decade playing hurler. He was so consistent every day he tugged out and played, and he gave some wonderful performances in that decade particularly. And I have no doubt that there'll be players listening today that marked him or played with him, and they will agree with me 100%. And when I see his son Brian playing today, it reminds me so often of his father Kevin. He has some of those same traits and characteristics in his game. So I suppose the apple didn't fall far from the tree. And really Stevie, that's the best compliment I can pay Brian as well. John now takes me back to when he first started as a juvenile with the club. My home place was in Palestine and then my earliest memories of going to the field, I was about 10 or 11 years of age and our field that time was Paddy Carbett's field before the club moved up here to the village in Anacarty and they were my earliest memories going training and we walked up or jogged up from Donovan or if you were lucky enough to have a bike at the time you, you cycled but same thing again when you were talking out you were you didn't have a gear bag, just a carrier bag or whatever you had and the clothes I put into it and 
put it at the beach really because that's all that was there, there was no dress rooms, there was no nothing. And it was the same for a lot of other clubs too at those days. Like, you know, my earliest memories from starting out. Eileen, can I go back to you for a moment? I believe that you're a great woman when it comes to programmes. I have a few, all right. I've always seen a hurling final programme since about 1981. And really they're a great source of information because, you know, I've written articles for various things down through the years. I have a good lot of county final programmes as well, a good lot of county programmes, a good lot of inter-county. I have all the All-Ireland programmes involving to Prairie since 1988, Munster final programmes. And I decided there during the lockdown last March and April anyway that I was going to get them out of the box they were in and put them into some sort of order. So I have them all more or less catalogued now into groups of 10 or 20 years. I also have all the Tipperary yearbooks since 1975. They're a huge source when you want to write anything. I will update the Oak history maybe in the coming years. The amount of work Ireland does through the years and continues to do, we hope she'll be here for many more years with us because she has the busiest job in the club, to be honest. My job as chairman is pretty easy because I give a couple of years doing treasurer, but I have good officers with me and also the same with the committee. So everyone has their job to do and they all do it well and the same with our juvenile structure and our lateral committee. Everyone will work together. And Kevin now goes through the management team. I think he was manager Corey was a selector and Pat was another selector. I think it's just the three that looked after it really, really simple. And from Dunny Horden and Golds, Kevin now looks at some of the backs. At the time, like you know, Jacko was cornerback and uh, Dennis Dwyer was the other cornerback. Pat was centre-back and Vinny Ryan was the captain, he was wing-back. Now when you say Pat was a centre-back, normally with the county, he's above in the corner forward. Pat has had a lot, of, I'd say, his first games with the county were a cornerback. Then he moved up to the forwards. Pat couldn't really play in most places. Yeah, in the forward line then we had Anthony Cross and we had John Kelly and uh, Michael Heffern. We also had uh, Michael Ryan. Coochie uh, is more affectionately known in the, in the club. Anthony would have played most of the games as full forward. And Major threat? Oh, he was, yeah. He was a huge threat in the air. He was very good to catch the ball. Many of the soft score I got with Anthony doing all the hard work because just catch the ball and lay it off to me. I knew we, we had a great understanding between us when we were playing. And he was just catch the ball and lay it off to me and I finished it. Kevin, talk to me about your captain at the time, Vinnie Ryan. Actually, on the day, he played very well. Thinking back on the match that day, in the back line anyway, I think it was Pat and Vinnie done most of the hurling that I could see but anyway. Then Lee Mooney was in the middle of the field and then just John and Anthony then the forwards were the, the spine of the team at the time. So. Vinny was never shy of taking the long range freeze. Yeah, he was taking the long range freeze, I think he was taking that day as well. I think he scored a few. So. And I suppose coincidentally, Vincent was captain in 94 and he was also captain in 2006 when Aero beat McCarkey in the intermediate final as well. And of course, John played in both of those teams as well. Interesting statistic, John. That's right, that's right, yeah. And even though we mentioned our names already, uh, Vinny as manager and Corey as selector, they were supposed to be with us here tonight, but unfortunately they cannot be. We have great memories of those and the amount of work that they done to get us to that final. So what they done was very much appreciated as well as what the other players done, because they were a big part of us winning that county final as well. I think there's other great people as well in the club. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, every club has to have the workhorses, as we say. I mean, the players do one job and then the other people are behind the scenes doing the other. John is chairman, Vinnie was chairman before that. Tom English was before that and Liam O'Brien was before that. They're the people I served under anyway. 
and presently Owen Bradshaw is treasurer and he's taken to the, the role like a duck to water. The field and caretaking, Liam O'Dwyer was here for years and we owe Liam a great debt of gratitude for all the amount of work he did. Liam, back the years, was very involved in juveniles, he was a referee and in retirement, if you want to call it retirement, he took over looking after everything here. But Liam decided anyway that his time has come, so last year he handed over the reins to Tom English. Tom has been involved with the clubshire for years as well. He was a selector back in 2006. Fiona Ryan down the road does the, the jersey washing. Talk to me about the highlight of the last number of years. The first highlight was probably the County Intermediate Final in 2006, although I, I will have to admit that I wasn't there. Believe it or not, I was in Boston at a wedding and I remember ringing to find out how things were going. So I missed the celebrations for that anyway. So that led us on to playing senior hurling. They gradually found their feet and I suppose really then I'm going back then to 2001 where there was a, a very good juvenile team managed by Kevin and Ray Kennedy. And to be honest, they were the bones then of the teams that were coming on from about 2009 on. And unfortunately, I suppose for us, Clonolty were at their peak at that stage and we lost three or four West Finals in a row to them. But 2013, I suppose, was our year. We came back and we beat Clonolty and Dundrum. Just to show that that wasn't a fluke, we won it again in 14. And I was talking to my son Dermot and he said, yeah, for him personally, he would say 14. Even though 13 was wonderful because it was 27 years since we'd won in, back in 86. But 14, he said, was really the one because it just showed that 13 wasn't a fluke and that we were there. And then we scraped through in 15. So I think that three in a row has been my highlight. John, you were saying a little bit earlier, you used to run up to the field to Paddy Corbett's. Well, what if you were playing a match further away? How did you manage in? Surely you didn't cycle? No, I didn't know, but thinking back to those times, uh, great memories as well, but there wasn't much consideration given for health and safety or seatbelts or anything, because I remember in my father's care, or Teddy Cow's Island's father's care, going to matches, and you could be separators inside the care. So that was my earliest memories, going to matches. And I suppose up through the years then, I've great memories of things that happened and the way the things have changed in dressing rooms as well over the years. I remember coming into matches at half time and you look around the dressing room and instead of uh, energy drinks or sports gels, there could be three or four fellas smoking a cigarette around the dressing room. That was their pick me up at half time. And did you ever have a magic bottle? I remember it was back in the 80s, we were playing a match down in Dundrum and it was a real cold day the same day. And I remember Pat Ryan came into the dressing room with a bottle. He opened the course, he took the bottle out from the course. So he went around to us in the dressing room anyway. And some lads had their hands out and they rubbed their hands and warmed their hands. And some lads rubbed a bit of putty into their muscles, into their legs to warm up. And I remember John Hanley was sitting beside me and Pat Joe came around to John. And next thing is John took the bottle off Pat Joe and took a big mouth for the bottle anyway and gave it back to Pat Joe. And he gave me a dig in the ribs of that. He says, John, he says, that thing works better from the inside out. <laughs> Kevin, what do you think of that? Well, <laughs> I can remember that actually all right, because I wasn't sitting too far away at the time, and uh, John now wouldn't mind having a slug or something like that. No. Did it spur him on? John didn't need much to spur him on. <laughs> John was always pretty well ready and ready, always ready for that. And remember last year, Kevin's son Brian was part of the Tipperary team to won the Munster Senior Football Championship for the first time in 85 years down in Parky Cueve after victory over Cork. But what kind of celebrations were in the Fox household? Elated, to be honest, you know, we were thrilled. Thrilled for Brian because he had played for so many years and 
But this was what he wants to win. He wanted to win this and uh, they went out and thank God they won. You used the board dilators. What was it like when he came home? It was very good that, that uh, we had a drive-through in the power shop just to honour him, I suppose, and he was a member of the team that won that Munster final. A big crowd to love for that, you know, so it was very well organised and it put down very well with a lot of people, I think. Even watching that myself on television that day, think of the final whistle, it was very emotional because we're all very proud of Brian and to see all the years he put into football, a lesser man would have given up. It really was emotional, I suppose, with the bloody Sunday side of it and everything. And Fox has put an awful lot into the Aero Club, as have lots of other families. There's really is a, a link from now to the past and hopefully going forward as well. Yeah, Brian, we all felt very proud because we had hollered and played alongside him up along through years and we, we knew how dedicated he was and uh, the effort that he put in. And as Eileen referred there a minute ago, men of lesser character would probably have packed it in because there was a lot of years there with Tipperary football that there might have been a whole lot of light at the end of the tunnel, but Brian stuck with it and continued to make the effort and just delighted that he got his just rewards and got his monster medal. Eileen, last week we were concentrating on short races and obviously today it is the time now for Aero Organic Carty. But go back to 1973. <laughs> You're asking me to go back a good bit now, uh, Stevie. Yeah, I do remember the West Final in Cashel. I suppose it's the first real match that I remember. And Aero were hot favourites going into that game. They had won all their previous matches by cricket scores, really. So it really was a bit of a, a surprise that day that they just couldn't score. But I remember reading the article written by Divish, who had been our own Willie O'Donnell here, and he said that the best man he saw on display that day was DJ Gleeson. Now DJ has been a stalwart of our club for a number of years. He has had a lot of officerships here. He's been involved when the fields were bought. It's unknown the amount of work that he has put in down through the years. Another great man that day was the captain, Tom O'Dwyer. God be good to him. And Tom as well had a great match that day. And it was, I suppose, very disappointing to have lost that. Unfortunately, Sean Traces were our nemesis again in 1982. Another match that I remember over in Emily. That was closely enough contested as far as I remember. Now, Kevin might have more memories of that than I as well. Yeah, I remember 73 pretty well, actually. And uh, it was a, a, a wet Sunday inside Cashel and we were favoured to win that match, but Traces on the day played very well and they restricted us to score on eight points on the day and we were scoring very freely that year. That's credit to Traces, they played very well defensively and we, we just didn't score to win the match, but I remember likes of DJ Gleeson was playing and he was outstanding and Eileen mentioned that Tom O'Dwyer, they were very good in the Handleys as well at the time, you know, Seamus Handley had a very good game on the same day. But they were the stalwarts that time for us really as such. And as I spoke to the chairman about wonderful facilities and the fantastic volunteers that are out there involved, he was so grateful to each and every one, including the great work that PRO Michal O'Dwyer is doing, along with Donald O'Dwyer, especially for all the photographs and information on all social media platforms. And he also went on to thank other groups. Yeah, well, look, there was a lot of work done over a number of generations, really, to get us where we are now. A lot of people have done a lot of work, especially our lateral committee, who have uh, helped to raise a lot of money over the years and we're lucky to be in the position that our facilities are here now and we're debt free as well. That's down mainly to uh, all the fundraising that was done and people within the parish that are constantly asked time and time again when we're looking to extend or add certain things to the facilities, they come up to us every time and they always 
deliver when they're asked. And uh, our team sponsor, PPO The Wire, who has been with us for a number of years and hopefully he will continue as well. So there's a lot of people have helped to put these facilities here and we'll be hoping to improve them again as we go on in the coming years again. And finally, Ireland explains about how grateful they are to the parish for their wonderful financial support. Remember the 20k drop by Conor O'Brien, amongst others. We've had numerous sales of work done through the years and we've got timber from farmers. We had the boxing in conjunction with Capa White and when we did do the walkway then, 2019, we decided that we were going to give something back to the parish and it's a facility that is greatly used. That's all we have time for this week, folks. Thanks again to Stevie and Francis and also Tipperary Midwest Radio for the use of the audio. Huge thank you to John Quinn, Eileen Ryan and Kevin Fox for their contributions and we wish Aerog and Akarty all the best in 2021. In the next episode, we'll look back on Arlo's county senior football title from 2006. Until next time, Tipperdor Naboo.